Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Rundown. Hey, you're going to want to tune into episode 264. I I know it's hard to believe we've done that many, but in that episode, I'm going to be interviewing Chris Miles. And I got to tell you, Chris Miles has really impressed me because he can tell you how he's retired twice. Okay. Now here's a guy that doesn't get it because he had to do it twice. Right. But in this episode, he's also going to share with us how he did it, how he's done that and why you might want to look at what he calls infinite banking. I know you've heard about infinite banking, but you haven't heard it like this. So you're going to want to tune in and and listen to us as we discuss seven ways to free up cash flow. We're going to discuss achieving financial independence. We're going to discuss this thing called an anti-financial plan. So guys, you are definitely going to want to tune in to the Real Estate Rundown and check it out when I get on with Chris Miles and we dig into this information. So be there, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Rundown. We are here today with Chris Miles, and we are talking about episode number 264, and we are going to be talking about how my friend Chris was able to retire twice, create cash flow, and live the life that he wants. So first of all, we got to get to this point where we welcome Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Shannon. So Chris, most people only want to retire once, but you had to do it twice. (laughs) Why? It's it's easy. You just quit going to work, right? <laughs> well, basically, if I become financially independent twice, it means I screwed up once. So I had to do it a second time to make up for it, right? There is that, right? And so you, <laughs> you've been to the school of success, followed by a semester in the school of hard knocks, but then you mm-hmm. were lessons and went back to class, right? Exactly. So Chris, take us through a little bit of your journey there. How do you retire and then lose it and then build it again and then retire again? I mean, what, what's, what was that process in your life? Yeah, you know, like 20 years ago, I started out being like the traditional mainstream financial advisor, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, for four years, I was teaching people how to, you know, do all the crap you hear about, like save everything, spend nothing, save it forever, put away in the stock market, and hopefully someday you have something, right? But I realized that after a while, nobody was financially free you know, including myself, but not even the financial advisors were financially free teaching that advice. So eventually, you know, 2005, 2006, you know, I I had a friend that was in real estate, you know, he's partnering with his dad on some stuff, just doing small deals. But I mean, they had doubled their income from their active income at their work. Right. And I thought, well, that's pretty amazing. You know, like that's, that's pretty hard to, uh, to deny, you know, because I like evidence. I like to know that things work. Right. And so, so I basically started like to learn from them a little bit. You know, I actually quit being a financial advisor in March of 2006, vowed never to teach about money again. And uh, in fact, all of my whole plan was just to basically do mortgages, be a mortgage broker because 2006, anybody could be a mortgage broker and, uh, and then uh, teach ballroom dancing on the side, you know? So uh, little known fact, I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers about 20 years ago. So, so anyways, you know, so I was going down that path and, uh, and I was starting to get mentored by these guys and, 
you know, I didn't have a huge lifestyle. So I only had to hit 3,500 bucks a month to be financially independent. So I did by that summer of 2006, I was able to become financially independent. Well, then it was like, I'm 28 years old. I'm thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up? Right. Well, you know, I, after, you know, after a little bit, 2007, I partnered up some guys and we decided to teach people how to get out of the rat race like we did, you know? So we were kind of doing our thing there. It was funny because uh, I remember one of those partners said, Chris, like, we want you focused here. We want you to cut off your passive streams of income, which I should have looked at as like, that's a major BS thing right there. Because why, if we're trying to teach people how to get out of the rat race, would I cut off my multiple streams of passive income, right? Well, I, I did that to be a team player. And then on top of that, we were focused on just real estate investors in this new business venture we did, right? So what they wanted you to do was basically burn your boat. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they said like, hey, this is our mission. This is our passion. Really, it was really one guy's mission and passion. He wanted, you know, all on board, right? Burn the boats, everybody, you know, full steam ahead towards his vision. You know, and again, I had a similar vision because I wanted to teach people too. But definitely mistake number one is I cut off those, those streams of income, right? That was a big mistake. Uh, mistake number two is I got overconfident, you know, by 2007 because, you know, I, I was tw- in my late 20s. I'm thinking, you know what? Hey, everything I touch turns to gold, you know? So, and you know what? It's cool getting the cash flow, but man, like think of how much we're making on appreciation in the market. I should start buying bigger houses and doing stuff like that to bank on appreciation. Forget the cash flow. I don't care if it's negative cash flow. Let's go for appreciation, right? So, between that and everything else and not, you know, not really paying attention to my money. And, you know, pretty soon I was in the place where, you know, things start turning around with the recession, right? About end of 2007, 2008. And, uh, and I found myself about 16,000 in the hole each month, right? And so I'm quickly burning through my savings. I'm running up credit card debt and everything else just to try to stay afloat. Pretty soon I go from like millionaire to upside down millionaire in about a year or two. So you went from $3,500 a month in Net, net expenses or, or gross expenses to mm-hmm. 16,000 in gross expenses. And your you're really, your cash flow didn't increase that much. And mm-hmm. then the world stopped turning. Oh, it was worse than that. <laughs> so uh, there's more. <laughs> oh, but wait, there's more. Well, yeah, because I had all these new business expenses with this new business venture, right? So between that and my personal expenses, I actually started increasing my lifestyle too, right? A little bit. So so as a result, I, my total expenses between business and personal were about 22,000 a month. Mm, so, right. but, uh, but I was only bringing in, you know, most of it was now active income, right? It was about five or 6,000 a month. So that was the big issue. Now I didn't know I was in that bad of a hole. I had to finally like look at the truth, right? I had to start tracking my money and doing stuff, which is one of those first secrets of freeing up cash is tracking your money. I stopped doing that. I was, cause money was so prevalent. It was like air. You know, you just don't think about it until the air has gone. Right. And so that's, that's basically what happened. Like I put myself in this really, really rough place where now all of a sudden I was in the hole over a million bucks. Wow. You know, and I would love to say that, Chris, I have no idea what, what you were doing <laughs> at that point. Nobody else on the planet was, but you know, mm-hmm. 28, I was 32. Right. Yeah. We were doing the same thing and we went through the same growing pains. And, you know, I had my dad chirping in my ear. It's not going to mm-hmm. be like this forever, son. You need to put some of this away. Like Jiminy Cricket on her shoulder, right? And for uh-huh. those younger, go ahead and Google Jiminy Cricket. Chris and I are okay with that. <laughs> but, but we did that, right? We were doing yeah. thing. We were doing unanchored retail space and we were doing, you know, we can make this work and that worked. Mm-hmm. So why not do this? And the next thing you know, not only are we out over our skis, we're no longer skiing, you yeah. know? 
we're, we're in midair and th- there's no more velocity. And, and now all of a sudden we're headed for the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 2008 was, was, a, was a hard bounce, you know, and I found myself in a very, very similar position. And you had all the things that you knew that you weren't paying attention to. We're now staring at you going, I told you so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, I don't know how that felt for you, but for me, that felt horrible because I knew better. Yeah. I knew I shouldn't have done this. I knew I wasn't, so, I, I knew it, mm-hmm. but I did it and here I was, right? So what, what did you go from there? I mean, I know what I did. I, I finally put the shovel down. Right, I quit digging, <laughs> and I and I started building a ladder. But what? How did you? How did you get out of that to get to the place where you retired a second time? Yeah, you know, you're not kidding. Like, there's all kinds of mind games that were happening to me. In fact, I would say the hardest part was not the financial part; it was the mind crap. You know, all the mind trash you're going through. Because I mean, remember, I was supposed to be the guy that had it all figured out, teaching people how to get out of the rat race, and now I was back in it. Right. So there's all this like, you know, you, you know, basically I'm, I'm out, of, out of integrity. You know, how can I keep teaching this if I'm not living it myself? So to get out of it, I basically, I did, I got back in integrity. I just said, you know what? I can't teach this. You know, I'm going to stop teaching people how to get out of the rat race, but I am going to teach them what I am doing, what I've been learning, which is getting resourceful, right? Like how to find money because I, I had no savings left. I had no credit. My credit was getting hashed, you know, by 2008 and 2009. So that wasn't an option. I couldn't just get, you know, get money. Nobody wanted to lend me money. I mean, nobody in the right mind would, and I don't blame them. So, you know, I had to figure out how to create money, you know, out of seemingly nothing. And so that I started switching it. I was like, okay, I had to get like really creative because like I was settling, you know, debts. I was doing different things. I was finding different, like more efficient ways to pay off certain debts while leaving the other ones alone to get the biggest, you know, rate of return on my money and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, I mean, I had to get scrappy, you know, I had, you know, I had now more multiple streams of active incomes I was trying to create just to make sure we could stay afloat. And there were some months I didn't take a check, you know, it was, it was rough. So I started teaching people what I did, which was getting resourceful, how to find money. Because the funny thing is people would come to me and they said, you know, Chris, I would love to hire you as a consultant, but honestly, I can't find the cash. Now, now I wouldn't say this at the time, but the thing I'm thinking in the back of my mind is, well, your situation is way better than mine. I bet you I could find the money easily. Like your situation is easier than mine is. So, so I said, hey, if I can help you find the cash, would you pay me? They're like, well, of course. I said, great, here's what we're going to do. You know, and I'd help people find money. And, and pretty soon I started to kind of create a system around it. It took about a year to get, you know, to really get in the groove of it. But pretty soon I was able to create this whole cash flow system with it. Where on average, we're finding like 34,000 a year in people's lives, you know, without having to create passive income. That's just finding money, like sometimes in their businesses, like they're leaking money there or in their personal life or whatever it might be, finding that cash. And then now getting that to go to work for them, or at least to build up some savings and create some uh, security while everybody was trying to pull out of this recession. Right. And that's what started to help pull me out because as I was helping other people figure out the same thing I was figuring out, well, then we all kind of elevated each other's together, you know? And so that was the key. So you mentioned that there are seven secrets to freeing up cash, mm-hmm. three of them right here. The three, the three top ones. Yeah, three top ones. I'd say this is like I mentioned. One of them was tracking your money, right? Um, this time I had all these people doing. This is actually the seven common ways that people found on average thirty four thousand a year. So tracking money was a big one because a lot of business owners, especially especially if you're a business owner, you don't want to track money. You're too busy trying to make money. You're like, I don't have time to look at it. 
But what's happening is that it's just like trying to carry buckets and the water's leaking out along the way and you're getting frustrated. So you go back and you keep hauling more, not knowing what's going on. And, uh, and so I'd, I'd be like, okay, let's look for ways here. Like where are we spending money? That's just not productive. That's not generating income for you and your business or what's going on in your personal life. Like I tell you, anytime somebody said they're too busy to track money, I always found at least 500 bucks a month. That was just being lost. You know, they didn't have to cut their lifestyle down. That was my key thing. I didn't want people to live on rice and beans. You know, that's why on my website, the book's called beyond rice and beans, right? Because it's kind of slapping Dave Ramsey saying, no, I don't want you guys to live cheap and living on rice and beans and suffering. Right. But really like, how do you be a better steward of your money? And so that was a big one it's tracking your income and expenses and, and being proactive. Like, Hey, we can cut expenses, but what can we also do to increase income? You know, what can we do there? Can we create more value in your, in your, in, in your job or your business? Uh, and by the way, business is way easier to do that, but I've had W2 employees where I just told them, it's like, listen, go to your boss. And just ask them, hey, what can I do? How can I create value for you and the company that would merit me a raise? Right. And it's amazing how few people will ever do that. Um, I had one guy who was making about, uh, you know, 15 bucks an hour at his job, right? And, uh, and he started asking that question. And they said, well, do this and this. And so he did it. And so when they came to review time, they're like, well, you did everything we asked. So, okay, here's a raise. And Eventually, after about a year and a half, he went from like $15 an hour up to like $28 an hour, you know, in his job. He almost doubled his income. So that's the kind of stuff you can do. So that's number one is tracking your money, right? And I guess that's one and a half, you know, increase your income is always a nice thing too. The seven is really probably 10 because that was really kind of several things all wrapped into one. It was, it was great. I mean, yeah. What are, what's another one? You know, another one, like I mentioned debt, right? That's an interesting thing because you get all these, the Dave Ramsey of the world telling you debt's evil. The truth is that debt's not dumb if, as long as you're not dumb with it, you know? I tell people debt can be divine if you use it right. But, you know, I, I create a formula called a cash flow index, right? So uh, what this formula is, you take the balance of the loan, you divide it by the minimum monthly payment, and you'll get this, get this index number, right? So, for example, put this in real life. You know, say that you've got a $20,000 car loan, right, that you're paying $1,000 a month on. And you got a $20,000 credit card that you're paying $400 a month on. And say that credit card's like at 18%, right? Now, if you're Dave Ramsey, you're going to say, pay off which one? You know, you're going to say credit card every time, right? Well, the truth is like, especially when you're in tight cash flow situation, or even if you're just trying to get your money moving faster, it's about velocity, right? I would look at it and say, well, which one's going to give me the, which one's going to have the highest payment? Because when crap hits the fan, like whether it's an unexpected expense going on in your life or income drops suddenly or whatever it might be, I bet you, you're probably grateful you only have to pay $400 a month versus $1,000 a month, right? Right. And so I actually tell people, it's like, ignore the interest rate. I mean, great. As a tiebreaker, go for the interest rate, pay the highest interest rate, but ignore it completely. Look at what's going to free up the most cash flow with the least money out of pocket. So in this case, that if you had extra 20,000 bucks, you can only pick one. I would say go for the car loan because that's freeing up a thousand bucks a month that now you can use that money to go create more passive income with, or you could use it to, you can still use it to pay off the credit card if you wanted to. But the cool thing is you're not required to have to make that payment. And that's what I learned in that hard time is it didn't matter what the interest rates were. It was like, what's leaking out of my life right now? Like how much money am I losing? Right. So, so that's a big one right there. That and that makes a ton of sense too, because you get paid by the month. Your bills come in, your cash yeah. bills come in. They got to match, you know, what you've got left over. 
And you're right. If you go, and another thought, if you really go one step further on that and you go, gosh, if I don't make the payment, which one can I afford not to make, right? Yeah. If I don't make the credit card payment, they're going to say really bad things to me uh, to experience, right? And they're going to yeah. call Union and they're going to tell them all kinds of rotten stuff about me. But if I don't make that car payment, I'm riding my skateboard to work. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it and go, what is more important in my life? Another way to put it, mm-hmm. this is the one that I have to protect. This is the one that I have to pay off first because a free and clear car versus all the little knickknacks and, and hanging baskets that we bought at the, at the, you know, the home show going to matter because they're not going to come get them. Right. Yeah. So it, that makes a lot of sense. I like that one. You know, and, and that's, and there's, there's cool things to do with that too. Like refinancing. Like I, I had a guy who was a business owner that was 62 years old. He was getting to the point where he was almost paycheck to paycheck. Right. Like he's just like, I am hating my work. You know, that's the thing you have to understand that all this is a mathematical equation. It's much more psychological when it comes to finances than mathematical. Right. Because this guy was like, yeah, I'm, I'm now just breaking even. I used to be profitable in my business, but now I'm burning out. I'm 62. I don't think I'll ever be able to quit. And so I remember looking at his whole situation and, uh, and this is about 2011, right? So this is after things started to come back, but you know, values have dropped and, but things were starting to come back slowly. Well, I remember he was like, okay, what do I do, Chris? And I looked at it and said, all right, you get this $500,000 IRA and you've also got these other loans and mortgages and things like that. And he had a mortgage he was trying to pay off fast, right? He was doing the typical Dave Ramsey thing. I was like, you know what we're going to do? We're actually going to refinance your mortgage, not a cash out, just a simple rate and term refinance. We're going to refinance your mortgage. We're also going to pay off just these specific ones using this cash flow index, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, if we do this, we will free up 4,200 a month, basically 50,000 a year. But we need to use 100,000 bucks of cash to help because, you know, back when we lost values of our home, we had to pay it down a little bit to get it to refinance, right? And he's like, so I said, you can use 100,000 from your IRA and free up 50,000 a year. So he's like, yeah, but Chris, how am I going to retire? I was like, you don't understand. Like $100,000 to create 50,000 a year, that's a 50% rate of return. What financial advisor is ever going to even try to promise you something like that? He's like, yeah, but how? How am I going to retire? After we paid it in two years, it's going to do it again the third year. And it's going to do it. Yeah. And it's going to do it again the fifth year. So that's the thing that about cash flow, right? It shows up every mm-hmm. month, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I try to do it every single way. And finally, his wife. Yeah, and I've noticed that people that are least trained in finances get common sense faster sometimes. His wife was the one that's like, listen, you still have 400 grand in your IRA. This makes sense. Let's do it. Here's the cool thing that happened as a result is that he did it. He freed up exactly like I said, 4,200 bucks a month of his life. So he started to breathe and relax a little bit. Now, you know, like in business, what happens when you start to relax and breathe? What happens to your business? You start to become more efficient. Exactly. To- yeah. It started to grow. So his, yeah. uh, his, his patient conversion, he was a doctor, right? His patient conversion ratios went up. Like he, cause he, he wasn't like a burned out doctor anymore. And now he was actually excited and passionate about his work again. So people were saying yes more often. So within a few months after that, he started making an extra two or $3,000 a month of income all because he did this. Right. And that's psychological. Uh, plus, you know, we found money with taxes and stuff. So it was, I mean, by the end of the year, he found like 80,000 bucks from just that hundred grand. Well, and you know, Chris, too, one of the things, and, and you alluded to this at the very beginning when you were talking about, you know, you had $3,500 a month and you had way more than that in cash flow. You know, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about IRAs and things like that. They're stagnant, right? They grow because you keep feeding them. They grow mm-hmm. 
you're getting a 6% return on the utility stock you bought or the, the, you know, the IBM you bought back when IBM used to do something or, or <laughs> kids, Kodak, back when yeah. Kodak big pictures, right? But that doesn't do anything. And when you start to spend that, you eat it. It's gone forever. Mm-hmm. But if you have that creating cash flow, which is exactly what you're talking about, that is the river of life because it keeps coming in and it keeps replenishing itself. And that's the thing that I've seen a lot of people have done. They've saved up. They've got their IRAs jammed full of money and they've got, they've got their house paid off, but they have no way to sustain daily life other than to go back after those reserves and eat them. Instead of having yeah. something, hey, I have a million dollars here. And I'm going to spend that million dollars on a building that gives me $100,000 a year. Now I still have the million dollars because I own the building. Mm-hmm. I have $100,000 a year to spend that I have every year for the next 100 years. Mm-hmm. And I've created cash flow instead of a million dollars that if I live on it, $100,000 a year only lasts me 10 years. And I think that's where you were talking about the common sense not being so common, especially yeah. in, then, you, then you followed it up and told me exactly why, because you said he was a doctor, but you held that for <laughs> Because, because common sense isn't that common, right? It's, that's right. I have well, this, but I'm going to eat it. Mm-hmm. That's my big, my son, biggest beef with the traditional financial industry that I came from, I was trained in, right? Was that being on that side, they're telling you to do everything that the banks and financial institutions want you to do, but now it's what's best for your life. Because like, you know, like when they tell you to save everything, spend nothing, right? Save it for the long haul and, and you're in it for the long haul and take high risk, create high returns. By the way, banks don't take high risk to create high returns. That, that's ridiculous because remember, the definition of risk is chance of loss. So right. when did the 90% chance of losing become a 90% chance of winning? Mathematically, that doesn't work, does it? Chris, you put on a good point there because the banks teach you to do what they need you to do, right? Yes. They loan money. They need, yep. to, they need money in their account. So they teach you to be their mule, to bring them their money so that they- mm-hmm loan you money and make the spread, right? Exactly. I mean, what is it that you have to have on deposit? Do you have to have 15% on deposit or 20% on deposit of what you loan? I don't, I don't. <laughs> oh, as a bank? Yeah, that, it depends on the bank. I mean, like uh, I know in the state of Utah, it's a six to one ratio, right? So they can loan out six times more than what they have in reserves. But well, nationwide, it's 10 times. If they can get one guy that thinks saving $100,000 a year is a good idea, then they can loan $600,000 a year on that one guy, and they're going to double that every year because he's brought him another hundred grand. So uh-huh. create fees on that, they're going to create you know all of the monthly. They're going to create the interest. They're going mm-hmm. to control that, and they're going to give this guy one percent. Right? Yeah, that's right. Slavery, you know, yeah, it is. That's that's the thing that people don't realize. Like if you watch the behavior of banks, you start to realize that everything you've been taught is really just you're you're just uh, you're duped, right? You've been duped because. Like you're just talking about there, like the leverage, like nationwide, it's 10 times, right? So yeah, you pay the 100,000, put it into a savings account or a CD. And here's the thing, like in normal personal finances, right? Again, that's almost the opposite of what's wise because in personal finances, they'll say, oh, we'll pay off that loan faster so you don't pay all the interest to the bank, right? But think about it. If the bank were to do the same thing to you, their debt to them is you put money in a savings account or a CD, have you right. ever heard the bank call you up and say, you know what, you know, Shannon, I, you've been a great client of our bank for the last 20 years, but man, like we just hate paying interest. And Dave Ramsey told us that was, that was evil. So it's against the Bible. So we're going to pay you back. Like we're going to pay back all that savings you put in there. You're like, no, I want it there. I want to earn interest. 
no, no, we, we hate being in debt to you. Take it back. Right. You'll never hear a bank say that, but no. that's what we're taught to do every day. Right? Like that's how stupid we've become. It's like we've bought into it hook, line and sinker with billions of dollars of marketing in these financial companies saying you should do it this way that serves us because they're taking your money. Like you said, hundred grand, they can make six, takes make leverage 600,000 or a million dollars that make interest on it. And then people are like, why do they sell off my loan? Well, easy, because those of us that have done things with notes, we know that we can make some good money and interest up front, sell it off, and then do it again. You know, like we just keep cycling money around, you know, that's, we always make the interest. They, and by the way, if, if, if they didn't want, if they wanted you to have the longest term mortgage, wouldn't they incentivize you with the lowest interest rate so that you pick it every time? But notice they give you the lowest interest on like a 10 or 15 year mortgage, not a 30 year. So I I would tell people like, yeah, if you want to stick it back to the bank, pay extra principal on that mortgage, you'll get them. You know, it's like, no, you got duped. (laughs) And you know, the funny thing is too, you know, the bank by teaching some of us, you see, there's always, there's always both sides of the coin, right? In my family, Mm -hmm. there's some of us that did and some of us that didn't, right? Mm -hmm. And, And those of us that followed the rules, maybe got a little bit duped because we over, we were overzealous, but then there's the other guys on the other side that were overzealous on the, on, on the access to credit. And they went out and they got themselves in trouble and they splattered all over the road. Right. Yeah. So now you've got, now you've got the bank going, see right over there, right over there. They did it wrong. And they, they, you, that's why you should do this. And they're reinforcing it, but they're also the ones that are being reckless. Right. Yes. That loaned, Johnny or Sam or whatever, Billy, Jane, whoever it is in your family that's reckless with money, they were the ones that loaned them too much money, right? That's and right. Instead of making that a, a financially feasible area, they want, they're, they're being greedy as well. So those, yeah. are, those are all really great things. But how do you counter that? I mean, how do you achieve financial independence when we know that the game is rigged? Well, that's, that's the thing is that almost you have to do the opposite, right? And I mean, listen to shows like yours is obviously a big, big way to do it because you're bringing on people that already are doing the opposite, right? You know, like for example, when I get people just like that guy, right? With the guy that had the 500,000 IRA, you know, he was believing that he had to save and accumulate money. He had to pay off his debt. That was a way to do it, but it doesn't always work that way. Uh, Another example is I had another client down in California, Right. Uh, this guy was like, I have a lot of Asian clients, right? And Asians are like incredible. Like they've been raised to be incredible savers. And so he had this plan. He said, I've got my house and I got an investment property in California. Now, when he said investment property in California, I was like, oh, great. This thing's probably got high equity, no cash flow, right? Which it was true. Um, it had about 600,000 of equity in that, that, that duplex he owned, but it was only cash flowing 200 bucks a month. So his return on equity was like point nothing, you know? <laughs> um, and then he had his home and he was trying to pay off his home. And his whole goal was, he's like, Chris, my goal is in the next six years to accelerate paying down these mortgages. So I'm debt free on my house and my investment property. So then I can keep all the, the $2,000 a month cash flow I'm getting from this property. And, <laughs> and, and so I was like, okay, so here's the thing is like, you've got, you know, 500,000 of equity in your house. Let's just say we only tap into 400,000, but we leave hundred thousand, of course, in there. And so we get a cash out refinance, which by the way, would only increase his payment by about a thousand bucks a month because he already had this low or pretty high payment for a low balance. So I said, refinance, free up some money and then sell your investment property. And we can 1031 into something else. He's like, ah, I don't know. I'm like, well, like, well, how much are you going to save if you pay off both these mortgages? 
4,500 a month. Okay. 4,500 a month. But if we get this money locked, unlocked, like we've got easily probably about eight hundred, $900,000 we could play with. Even if you only made 10%, that's 80 or $90,000 a year. Now subtract out the extra payment. We still come out with about 70,000 a year net. I'm like 70,000 a year. That's almost 6,000 a month versus waiting six years to free up 4,500 a month. And I said, by the way, if you reinvest that 70,000 a year, and then you keep reinvesting and building that up, you'll be over a hundred thousand a year of passive income by you hit that time you hit that sixth year. So you're more than double what you were hoping to create. And he's just like, Oh man, I don't know. Like, cause he was so indoctrinated and that's, and that's the thing. I eventually had to work with him a little bit and finagle it and just like, all right, great. Don't cash out on your mortgage, your home mortgage, just do a refinance. You'll free up about a thousand dollars a month on your refinance. Do that sell your other property, you'll still get another, like it appreciated another hundred grand by the time he's making a decision. I was like, now you got 500,000 you can play with. You, if, even if you made 4,000 a month, that's better than 200 bucks a month. You still win. Then you end up still making over 5,000 a month right now. That's better than 4,500 in six years. Well, and, and you know, that, that's the point, right? And when you mm-hmm. look at it, I mean, there's a, there was a, a guy I know around here that he sold his whole portfolio of product. And when he did that, he retired about $120 million in debt, right? Mm -hmm. He put it and I'm sitting there going, wow, you have all of this property. You have all of this debt. And he goes, but I had all of this cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I built that empire was I kept trading the cash that I could get. I kept pulling the equity out to build another project. And then once I had that project, I got cash flow and Mm -hmm. $500 a month in cash flow on 50 projects by keep continuing to move that money creates wealth, it creates cash flow, it creates a lifestyle. And you know, we've all heard guys like Tony Robbins who who teach this kind of stuff where they go, are you looking for cash flow? Mm-hmm. What are you what are you looking for here? Where are we yeah. going? Right. And that's where we see this where it goes all the time. And we can we can see where the people that have it do really well with it because they've created it. So yeah. those are all good points. So how does one achieve that? I mean, how does one really get there? You know, it's really getting your money out of prison is how I call it, right? It's like, how can we unlock the dollars? You know, it could be like we mentioned, like equity and properties, like with this guy, it could be just like, you know, you've got money in savings. I, I just talked to a guy yesterday, has 900,000 just sitting in, in cash savings. He's like, I was too afraid to put in the stock market because I don't like the stock market. I said, good for you because I hate it too. And, and that's coming from a guy who was a former trader in the stock market, right? So I get it. Um, but it's like, what do we do with that cash? You know, so I was like 900,000, even, you know, even if you make 10%, that's 90,000 a year of passive income. And by the way, the guy's an amazing, you know, great professional in his thirties. He's like, I just, you know, I don't want to work forever. You know, it's like, good cash flow is your key. See, most people are in that accumulation mindset. They're always taught to, you know, build equity, save, get a bigger net worth, but net worth is worthless if it doesn't generate income. And that's what most people hope for when they save in their IRAs and their crappy 401ks, even with the match, it's not even worth it because the return is just not big enough. So I just tell people, like, listen, let's get your money out of those places. Let's get it out of prison, get it working for you, get it into things like that are more certain and stable, like real estate, you know, whether it's commercial or residential or into notes, you know, or, you know, even can be in things like land, you know, there's all kinds of options you can get them into that's safe for the stock market and also gives you better cash flow. So I got a question for you though, Chris, because, you know, and I know my audience is thinking the same thing. They're thinking, wait a minute, you just came out of 2008 where you had too much debt. (laughs) 
telling me to refinance stuff and you're telling me to pull cash out and you're telling me to do these things. Aren't you, aren't you contradicting yourself? What, what, why would you pull this out and create debt when you just talked about it was debt that crushed you? <laughs> well, it's this different. See, it wasn't the debt initially that crushed me, right? I wasn't over leveraged in the beginning. It's because I took my eye off of cash flow, right? I wasn't, I wasn't being a wise steward of my money. I wasn't tracking my expenses. I wasn't watching how much was coming in, how much was going out. If you keep that under control, if you understand they're like, okay, I need to be profitable in my life, not just in business, but in your personal life, you need to be profitable. That situation wouldn't happen, right? And also too, like you know, when people are like, yeah, but if I borrow money, where do I invest it? I'm like, well, invest in places where it's more certain. Like, so when I buy properties, I, I, I tell people that boring is sexy right? That's the one thing I learned from the last one. It's like, I'm not trying to, you know, aim for like the huge things. Like, like when I used to think, Hey, if I have a hundred thousand dollar property appreciates by 10%, I'll make 10 grand. But if a million dollar property appreciates by 10%, I'll make a hundred grand. So go for the million dollar property, regardless of what it looks like, right? Cash flow wise. That was my mistake. Again, it, it had to be profitable, you know, but I wasn't doing that. So if you're going to use debt and money, you want to make sure you're getting a much bigger return and more certainty behind it than otherwise. Because it, here's the thing is like, even people think that they have debt, right? The truth is, is most people are all already debt free. The definition of debt is where you have more liabilities, more loans than you have assets. So in, in essence, you're upside down, right? So for example, say you, in, back in the last recession, you had a $300,000 mortgage, but if your house was worth $200,000, now a lot of people say they have $300,000 of debt, but that's a liability. It's not debt. They were technically only $100,000 in debt, right? Because if they try to sell their house, they would still owe hundred grand. The question is, if you sell all your assets, would you be debt-free? And for many of us, especially right now with appreciation has been happening, if you are a homeowner and everything else, most of us have a positive net worth. Therefore, you are debt-free. So, if debt were really that big of an issue, sell your assets off, right? Sell them off, you know, and then voila, you're now debt-free. But people don't do that. Even the Dave Ramsey fans don't want to sell off their assets because there's that contradiction, right? Like debt's evil, but I need to have assets and they can't figure it out. So the key is cash flow has got to be the focus. If you focus on cash flow and it's certain and it's predictable, the debt conversation is not a big worry. Right. So, so let's get to this next thing about double dipping, mm-hmm. double your investment returns. I mean, how do you, how do you get paid twice? I mean, that's what double dipping is. It's, it's yeah. getting money out of the left pocket and the right pocket on the same hundred dollars, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do that in your investing while you're getting cash flow and you're growing your wealth? How does all that happen? Yeah. So I first learned this in 2006 after I quit being a financial advisor and it blew my mind because uh, this is like the specific vehicle you're using is like whole life insurance, right? I was anti whole life. I thought it was like the biggest scam ever. Uh, but then I kept meeting entrepreneurs and real estate investors that were using it. Now I will tell you what I learned back then. They were the traditional infinite bankers that you talk about, like the Nelson Nash. If you've heard of you know his book, they were the very traditional type. That was still a ripoff. <laughs> it's what I found out. I actually ended up losing the whole life because when I went through the recession, it had no cash in the policy, right? So I call this max ROI infinite banking where you get lowest cost possible whole life insurance to give you the maximum return. So here's the concept, right? Is that whole life is different than term insurance. Term insurance, if you guys, you know, you know it's death insurance. You know, you pay a premium, you have to die to get it. 
Whole Life has a bigger premium, but they have money that goes to cash that goes in this tax-free supercharged savings account. Right. Here's the thing though, is that uh, again, most of those infinite bankers don't think like real estate investors and therefore they set it up like crap. You know, The way to do it is if you can get the lowest cost possible in it, you know, like for example, I was showing a guy yesterday, the same guy that had 900,000, right? He's like, hey, what if I put like 80,000 a year into this thing, right? So you can set a maximum on it. The maximum, by the way, you can do is up to 25% of your stated gross income each year, you know? So he's like, all right, what if I did 80,000? I said, well, the cool thing is you'll have, you know, about 65,000 in cash there from day one, right? So even the most expensive year, you've got cash. But here's the key concept is that the cash value that's there, you can get a line of credit against it through the insurance company, right? So when you get that line of credit, so they're paying you to say, you know, like this company in particular that I was showing was 5.75%. The loan rate is 5%, right? So think of it like a HELOC that pays you money, right? Like you have the HELOC, you use it to go buy real estate and you try to get more cash flow coming in. Same exact concept, but instead we're using the life, the life insurance company to only charge you 5% while you're earning 5.75 on all that money in there. So when you borrow it, the money's still there growing and compounding interest only, you know, like tax-free compound interest, right? But you're also borrowing at a lower rate and you're then investing in your, in your deal where now you're making money there in your real estate deal and you're still making a spread on your money, your arbitrage money, just like the bank does on the money inside the life insurance. The cool thing is when you get over a hundred thousand bucks, there's right now banks that you can borrow, that you can borrow from at 3.25%. So even though you're making 5.75, you're only paying 3.25 and now you're, you're just completely double dipping in a massive way. You know, and, and that brings up some interesting points. I mean, so now not only are you getting cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those that have small businesses, these, these policies can be a, expense to the business, right? Yep. That's right. You're creating tax deductions for your personal growth. I do this with my stuff, right? So yeah. when I, when I build a property out, that property buys key man insurance, that key mm -hmm. man, that's my whole life policy, right? Yeah. So, so now my investors are covered right through that mm -hmm. whole life policy. I get to use the whole life policy. Thanks guys to do things with it that are just like this. And so there's a lot of things you can do here guys that you're, you're seeing and that Chris is really showing us where cash flow can create things. It can create opportunities to do other things and it can create a lifestyle that you never really thought possible that allows you to quit sooner than you thought doing the things that the J-O-B wants you to continue to do because you've set up something about a cash flow lifestyle that gets you to a place where you are now free from that, that clock punching mentality where you got to go do this and you got to go do that. Even though you may still have some liabilities. So Chris, where in the wonderful world of everywhere can people find you to get more information to help drill down into these opportunities that you presented today because they're phenomenal? Yeah, two easy places. Uh, one, you can check out my podcast. If you already listening to the podcast, you can go find the, the Chris Miles Money Show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or two, you can go to my website, moneyripples.com. So guys, check him out. Chris, I want to thank you for being on the show. Guys, I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you got a lot out of this on the Real Estate Rundown. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown on Podchaser, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get it. And get your automatic updates so you can find us also on Instagram and YouTube. Give us a review. Let us know what you want. Let us know how these, uh, these segments that we do with guys like Chris are helping you grow in your financial decisions and in your real estate life. Guys, I want to thank you once again for tuning in the Real Estate Rundown. Thanks, Chris, for being our guest. Such a pleasure. Thanks.
That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com and be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.